I was reading this week when someone defined fear this, week, this way. This is how they define fear. As not just being scared of real danger, but also worrying about things that may never happen. Hmm. I think I'm an expert <laughs> on fear. <laughs> things they define fear is not just being scared of real danger but also worrying about things that may never happen. I'm pretty good at that. Yeah. How about you? What are you are you afraid of something? What are you afraid of? Who are you afraid of? You know, it's interesting that uh, you probably know the word fear comes the word phobia. So there's lots of different uh, phobias or fears that are out there. Some people have a uh, a phobia of animals, right? Of insects or spiders. Some people don't like spiders. Even dogs. I know I'm a runner, so when I'm running and there's uh, someone that they let their dog loose, and they always they always say the same thing: "Don't worry, the dog's friendly." Right? Okay. What's that? I know. Yes. Some people are afraid of public speaking. That's a big fear. Some people have a um, afraid of uh, a height or very small enclosed areas. There's lots of different fears or phobias that people have. Some people have fear of medical issues. Anyone have fear of medical issues? Uh, the sight of blood. Some people are, are afraid of that. Or if you're a bit like me, hypochondriac, you're kind of uh, almost afraid of everything. Oh, what's that? What's that? I think something, something's wrong with me. I have, uh, actually, this year... Carol's laughing because you know it's true. Yeah. I'm a mess, okay, just so we realize that. Yes. So I know this year I had uh, th- uh, three friends who uh, had uh, a severe heart attack. One of my friends from high school actually died of a massive heart attack. Another person from our running group had a massive heart attack. He is doing okay. And another person from the gym had a massive heart attack all around my same age, you know, late 50s. And the fellow from the gym said, and he, this guy was healthy. He said, you better make sure your, high, your blood pressure is under control. And so when I heard that, guess what I did? <laughs> I now have... Uh, a blood pressure monitor. So I told my daughter Rachel about this, who is a nurse, and she laughed, of course. And she said, well, Dad, you only check it once. I check it like three or four times a day. I'll check it right now, and I'm sure it's going to be through the roof sort of thing, right? I won't do that, yeah. So we all have lots of, and you're shaking your head, you say, this guy is a mess, right? Okay, well, you want vulnerability, there you go. Um, But we all have some sorts of fears. The interesting thing is, we do. My guess is some of us here today are afraid of people. We're afraid of what people think of us. We want to be liked. We want to be accepted by people. Probably a lot of us in that category. And so we are afraid of what people think of us. We don't want to be rejected. Now, here's the thing. As Christ followers... As followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to be a witness, to testify, to acknowledge Jesus publicly, right? So that's where a lot of us are afraid. Do I hear an amen on that one? Okay, thank you for a bit of honesty there. Because we are, because if we're called to be a witness, to testify, to acknowledge Jesus, but at the same time, here's the pull, 
We want to be accepted by people. We want to be liked by people. And in our society, Christianity is not always well received. So there's a bit of tension there where we're called to acknowledge Jesus, to testify about Jesus, to be a witness for Jesus. But for a lot of us, myself included, we want to be liked by people. And we don't want to be rejected or marginalized by people. And so we are sometimes just... We're just afraid of people, what they think. So it'd be interesting that given those two, two factors, how can we overcome that? How can we overcome that fear of people in order to honor God as he calls us to do that? How can we actually overcome the fear of people that many of us have? And that's the passage, that's what the passage is going to deal with that we're going to look at today. It's found in the Gospel of Luke. So I invite you to open up your Bibles please, to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And we have been going through the Gospel of Luke. We have been doing a series right now in Luke, calling the series Jesus a Storyteller, because in this middle section of Luke, Luke end of chapter 9 to the end of chapter 19, there's a lot of Jesus' famous like classic stories. And we're in this section. It's a traveling section because Jesus, as I've said, Many times, Jesus is on a journey, right? And he's headed towards Jerusalem, where he's going to die on the cross for our sins. And as he's going there, he's inviting his disciples to learn and to listen, to understand this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And one of the big things it means to be a follower of Jesus is to acknowledge Jesus, to testify about Jesus, to to be a witness for Jesus. But this is where it gets a little complicated at times. So let's read Luke chapter 12, and it's a very interesting passage, kind of a a complex passage as well, and it's a sobering passage. So Luke chapter 12, and I'm going to read the whole section, verses 1 through 12. Luke 12, verses 1 through 12. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. 
A lot in that passage. <laughs> yes. So it's a lot there and it makes us pause to think about things. So we're going to look at this in passing. So, you know, in the opening section, actually it's interesting that it says in the opening verses, verse 1, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered. So before this, in the end of chapter 11, chapter 11 Jesus was confronting the Pharisees about their hypocrisy. He was over there for dinner, and just a big uh, confrontation took place. And it says here, meanwhile, so it's kind of a link, that word, meanwhile. So what is happening in chapter 12 is a connection with what happened at the end of chapter 11. And uh, there's a crowd there, isn't there? In fact, it literally means thousands. It probably say uh, probably 10,000 people. It's like, wow. Right? So Jesus kind of has like rock star status, right? Ten, at least 10,000 people have gathered to hear Jesus because word is spreading about who he is. In fact, you notice it said people were trampling over one another. Did you see that? They were actually trampling over one another to get close to Jesus. And so... I don't know about you, but if I was part of the disciples, it shows you how shallow I am, but I've been pretty impressed with the crowd. Wow! You see that? Like 10,000 people gathered to, uh, to see Jesus, to be around. But Jesus is not very impressed with them. In fact, he actually uses that to issue a warning to the disciples. Because he says there, he says uh, uh, in verse uh, verse 2, be on, verse 1, be on your guard. So watch out against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And then he goes on, there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden, that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. So he says, watch out. He's talking to his disciples, not the crowd. He's talking to us. Watch out for what? What does he say to watch out for? Come on, what does he say to watch out for? What does it say? Hypocrisy. That's right. It says hypocrisy. And he describes hypocrisy as the yeast, the Pharisee. So if you've done any cooking, you know about yeast, right? Put a little bit of yeast in and woo, it spreads through the whole dough, right? So hypocrisy is a bit like that. This thing about hypocrisy, hypocrisy actually means it means to be a stage actor. That's how, kind of where we get this word, to, to act, you know, to put on a mask. So it's sort of like this. Joe gave me this today. So it's put on a mask, right? And we do that at times, don't we? We wear masks. And it's sort of things, Jesus, watch out. Be on your guard against hypocrisy, about putting on a mask, playing a role, pretending to be someone you're not. Yeah, I mean, you peer people often say, what are people, why don't people like the church because it's full of hypocrites, yeah. Which, okay, I think, yeah, I think the whole world sometimes full of hypocrites, right? But Jesus, watch out. Don't play a role. Don't pretend. Don't pretend. Never pretend to be someone you're not, right? Don't pretend. But we tend to do that. We tend to put on a mask and we, we play a role, which is hypocrisy. So there are kind of different ways of looking at hypocrisy. There's one way of looking at it is that you can come to church, I can come to church, someone can come to church, and we can be singing songs and worshiping God and all those things, listening to a me, uh, message, taking notes for the message. But we are outside, 
Monday through Saturday with someone totally different, right? So that's kind of one aspect of hypocrisy. The other aspect of hypocrisy is that, yes, you claim to be a Christian, or you are a Christian, but no one outside knows you're a Christian. So that's another math. So you go to work or school or your running club or sports clubs or whatever it is, and people, if someone knew you, you said you were a Christian, they said, oh, really? I, would know, I didn't know that. And they've known you for a long time. So it's kind of both ways you can look at hypocrisy, right? But it's pretending to be someone you're not. It's kind of wearing this mask that, uh, that Jesus says, just don't do that. And, he, and in many ways, we do that because we're afraid of people, right? We're afraid of what people think about us or their reaction to us. So we don't want to always, you know, profess who we are as Christ followers because they may not like us. We may get rejected. We get, may get marginalized. And so we, we play a role, right? And Jesus, just don't do that. Just don't do that. And one of the reasons says don't do it is because it's short-sighted. Hypocrisy is short-sighted, right? Because eventually it's going to come out. Right? Eventually, what is said in the closet is going to be made known. So, hypocrisy for Christ followers is short sighted because one day everything is going to be revealed. And the truth is, God, does not, God is not going to give out Oscars for who had the best performance in their Christian life. Wow, Brian, you were amazing. You were so good. And you fooled a lot of people. Here's your Oscar. He's not giving Oscars for good performances. What Jesus does want to give, he wants to give his disciples crowns for those who are willing to pick up his cross and follow him. And so, in a sense, just avoid hypocrisy. I heard a story this week. Uh, no one around here, no one even in British Columbia or Canada. But it was a story of a pastor and a young lady came to him and said, I'm tired of playing a role. I'm tired of pretending. He said, when I go to university, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, the, I'm, I'm an, a, this one type of person. And that type of person is I drink a lot, too much, I get drunk, I take drugs, and I'm, invo- I'm involved in all this sort of, of having sex as well. Because I want to fit in, I want to play a role. With those. I want to be accepted, right? But when I come home and I go to church, I play another role because I want to please my mom or my parents or these other people. And one of the best things I heard from someone many years ago is says, never pretend to be someone you're not. Because what God is looking for, he's looking for authenticity. He's looking for reality. He's looking for us to be who he is making us to be. So avoid hypocrisy. Just avoid it. Just not pretend to be someone you're not. Remember, uh, when we were serving in Ottawa, a friend of mine by the name of Lyle Johnson, and he had this uh, song called, Lord Make Me Real. And I want to play it, because it always has spoken to me. Let's listen. In a world of plastic people Where everyone wears masks Where we polish up the surface To cover up the cracks And it's popular to play the role When in the public eye But each time the actor takes a stage The real person dies Lord, make me real Give me guts to 
flesh on the rolls, Lord, make me real. I give your spirit full control. I discard all the veneer. May I be all that I appear. Lord, make me real. I like that. No, let's go back. I want, to, I want to stay there, please. Yeah. Can we pray that, that course? Let's say it with me. Lord, make me real. Give me guts to shun the roles. Lord, make me real. I give your spirit full control. I discard all the veneer. May I be all that I appear. Lord, make me real. And so Jesus says here, be on your guard against hypocrisy. Because hypocrisy is the fear of people. And the fear of people leads to hypocrisy. And Jesus says, be on your guard about that. Watch out. But then he gives us something how to counter the fear of people. And that is, he tells us that we should actually fear God. And that's what he says in verses 4. If you take a look again. He says in verse 4, essentially he says, I tell you, my friends, he's speaking to his disciples, friends. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. This word fear comes up five times in these verses. Fear him who after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So the way to counter the fear of people is actually to fear God. You know, there's a great verse in, in Galatians. You don't have to turn there, but I, I like this verse. It says in Galatians 1, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? So ask yourself that. Who am I ultimately trying to win the approval of? Be honest. Am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So I think this passage, it forces us to, to, to come to terms. Who am I trying to please? So ask yourself that today. Who am I ultimately trying to please am i trying to please people and be a a people pleaser and all that and that's the case my guess is there's a facade there's a mask we wear different masks or am i ultimately trying and desiring to please god that is what in many ways this passage comes at and he says here don't be afraid of people basically saying that so in this context Jesus is probably, he's talking to his disciples, and he's probably referring to the Roman government, right? Or the religious leaders. Because as we know, the religious leaders is one day going to what? Put Jesus on the cross. The religious leaders that stoned Stephen, one of the disciples of Jesus. So he said, don't be afraid of those people, because the worst they can do is they can dislike you from Facebook. <laughs> or the worst they can do is um, they can kill you. Well, okay, I don't want to be killed. I don't want to be killed either. But that's the worst they can do. The worst they can do is say, I don't want to be your friend anymore. 
The worst they can do is say, you're one of those religious kooks. The worst they can do is they can say they don't want anything to do with you. They can, they can malign you. They can ridicule you. That's the worst that they can do. Well, that's pretty bad. Yeah, I, I don't want that. But that's all they can do. So don't fear people. Don't fear people. And then he goes on to say, I tell you to fear. He says, fear the one who can, after your body has been killed, has the authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So who's Jesus talking about there? Who has the authority to actually throw your soul into hell? What's that? Yeah, I mean, some commentators say it's Satan, but it's not Satan. Satan does not have the authority to throw your soul into hell. So who has the authority to throw your soul into hell to Gehenna? It's one person, that is God. And so the passage, sobering passage, right? But it's what it says, it's the Bible. It says, don't fear people, fear God. Because God has the authority to throw your soul into hell. Fear that person. And so it's interesting, like the word fear is used five times in these three verses about fear. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So here's the question. What does it mean to fear God? And do you fear God? I mean, this is one of these uh, passages with uh, kind of maybe it makes you feel uncomfortable. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Talking about the fear of God. And it seems to be today... I don't know how, I haven't taken a survey, but in a lot of circles, even churches, when we talk about the fear of God, we'll quickly, it seems to be, oh yeah, but <laughs> it doesn't really mean to fear God. <laughs> Have you heard that? Yeah. So it doesn't really, okay, if, if, but it doesn't really mean to fear God. It means reverence and awe and respect. Okay. But it means to fear God. It means uh, fear God. This word fear is, is fear. So in this one sense, we are to fear God. We are to fear God because he is a holy God. Right? He is God. And so there is a, there's a tension here, though, too, I think. There is a sense of fear, but we, we're not to dread God, but we're to fear God. There's a reverence. There is an awe. There's a respect because he is God. I think there's a... It's a little bit like, I don't know if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, but uh, the Grand Canyon, there's a, the south rim of the Grand Canyon. And it's beautiful, the Grand Canyon, right? But you can go to the south rim and it has big signs, warning, danger, be careful, because it's a 6,000 feet drop straight down. So there's this sense, though, if you've been there, it's like, this is amazing. It's just like incredible. You know, this it's awe-inspiring. But if you, if you trivialize it or act foolish, what happens every year is that people die. They fall to the death because they take it so lightly. And so like the ocean. I love the ocean. The ocean is very calming. And it's, uh, I just I remember my dad, when I was young, we would lie... I'd lie on his lap on Sunday afternoons when I was a little boy, and he would just make the sound of the ocean. And it was very calming. Something beautiful about the ocean, but you go to the ocean, you have these huge waves, right, that people surf. And there's a sense of beauty and a reverence and a sense of awe to the ocean. But don't be foolish with the ocean, right? 
because there can be a powerful undercurrent. The, the ocean can kill you. And so there's a, a sense of awe and respect with those things, but there is a sense of a, of a fear as well with that. And I think that's a little bit what's going on here. And I think for those who do not know God, for those who, are, who don't care about God, there should be a fear. I would say a trembling because the scriptures say it's a dangerous thing to fall into the hands of a living God. So if you trivialize God, trivialize God, uh, downplay God, there is that sense that there should be fear with God, a trembling with God. But I think for those who have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, there's not that dread, right? Because we know that we have been accepted in Jesus Christ. And there's a relationship there, which I think is important. And that's why it goes on to talk about, it kind of shifts gears all of a sudden. It says um, in verse 6, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. And these sparrows are the cheapest thing you could buy in those markets. They're worth next to nothing. Two pennies is, is nothing. And so Jesus is saying that when you have a relationship with God, God cares for you so much more than these sparrows. And he goes on to say that, he says, um, instead the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. The number of your hairs are numbered. Do you know how many hairs you have on your head? I got one. Um, <laughs> the average person has 100,000 hairs. Mm -hmm. Blondes have 150,000 hairs. They have the most. Redheads, 90,000. And people with black hair or brown hair, 110,000. So matter, no matter how many hairs you have, God has a number. So I think in that sense, the fear of the Lord, there's a sense of relationship with God. So if you know God through faith in Jesus Christ, it's not the dread, but there is still the sense of respect and awe that he is God. Does that make sense? So in that relationship, because Romans tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there, there is no fear. But there is a sense of, of reverence, of awe. There's a sense that because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to please him, not to win his approval. I'm scared what he's going to do, but I want to please him because I am accepted and loved by God in Jesus. It's like, uh, imagine a, um, a young girl on a hockey team and her dad is coaching and she has now imagine if she doesn't have a good relationship with her dad and she may want to score a goal because I'm trying to please dad but if this little girl has a good relationship with her dad she might want to score a goal or play well but she's not doing it to win dad's approval she's doing it because she knows that she is loved and she just wants to do well it's all the difference in the world. See, those of us, we who are in Christ, we are not trying, we don't obey to win God's approval, but we are accepted by God. And so we obey. We, yes, we, we want to honor God and to be a witness for him because we are already accepted and loved by God. So out of that, there flows a sense of obedience and loyalty and a healthy respect of awe, reverence, 
fear. And so it was interesting that uh, Oswald Chambers, he said this, which I found an interesting quote. He said, the, remark- the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. If you fear people, and that, you know, you're always trying to please people, or you're trying to please people, that does lead to hypocrisy. It does. It leads us to pretend to be someone we're not. And sometimes we end up just playing a game. The game is called Christianity, and I know when I was young, I played it really well. But it's a game. And deep down in your heart, you know it's not real. And Jesus says the cure of that is not to fear people, but to fear me. Because the fear of God actually produces freedom. It produces liberty to be the person God has created you to be. The fear of God leads to life. So the sense of fear God, trust God, because it puts everything in perspective. And then Jesus really tries to to nail this home in uh, in verse 8 and towards the end, which I think he's applying it here. So he says in verse 8, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. Then he says in verse 10, And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoa. And then he finishes up, When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about what you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So he's saying here, I think, which flows out of this whole thing, if you fear people, then you're probably, yeah, you're probably not going to acknowledge who God is, right? But if you fear God, if you have a love for God, then you are going to acknowledge him. And what does he say? If you acknowledge God before people, what's he going to do? He's going to acknowledge you in the course of heaven, huh? That's pretty good, isn't it? But if you don't acknowledge him... He won't acknowledge you. And then he goes on this whole thing about kind of blaspheming the Holy Spirit and, and that. And that probably, if we've heard that, probably makes us a little nervous, right? You know, I don't, want, I don't want that to be true. I don't want Jesus to disown me. So what's going on there? Well, I don't think, let's deal with the negative part of this, or part, this part first. I don't think what he's saying is like, oh my goodness, I remember two weeks ago or a year ago, I had an opportunity to talk about Jesus and I didn't. That's it. I don't think he's talking about that. I think he's talking about this habitual lifestyle of denouncing Christ. And we know Peter, right? One of the disciples. He disowned Jesus how many times? Three times. And Jesus forgave him. I think it's this sense, the way he's talking here about blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. is this, It's a lifestyle of rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you reject the work of the Holy Spirit, you have no interest in the Holy Spirit. And you have no interest in God working in your life. I've heard people say, if you're a Christian and you're scared that you've done this, you probably never have done it. (laughs) But the flip side is that when you 
when you acknowledge Jesus, he'll acknowledge you before the angels of heaven. And I, I actually really think this is meant to bring us comfort, these verses. Because it's saying that when you, yes, when you fear God, when you're in a relationship with God, that it's meant to affirm these truths that are already real in, our, in ourselves. But I think sometimes we just, we're just afraid, right? Is that right? Right? We're just afraid of what people are going to think about us or what they're going to say if we're Christians. And so what happens? We're kind of like, at times, we're in like the secret service. And we're, 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 we're afraid to kind of come out of the closet <laughs> or to go public with our faith. You know, it's a little bit like this, aren't we? We're afraid. Come on, come on. We're afraid, aren't we? To confess Christ. Because we're more afraid of people than of God. And so we have excuses. We'll say things like, I don't want people to reject me. And that's why I don't tell people about God. Or, my, I believe my actions speak louder than, than words. But you think about that. People also need to hear our words of who we are and who we follow. And so Jesus is encouraging us to, to testify about him. As you live in that, if you fear God, you have nothing else to fear. As you trust God, you have no one else to fear. Because he is with you. His spirit is with you as well. And that's why I think we, just, we need each other as we testify about God. Because sometimes we can feel we're all on our own. And so I take comfort knowing there's people like Steve Dolls and Dan Boo, who I know are they're bold in sharing their faith. And we need the encouragement of one another, encouraging, cheering one another on to be bold. And so my challenge to all of us is this week is to pray for a spirit of boldness. Pray for a spirit of boldness, not timidity. And when it comes to just testifying, being a witness, acknowledging Jesus. You know, don't force the conversation. Don't try to manipulate things. Just ask God. Would you ask God for a spirit of boldness? You see that in the early followers in the book of Acts. And they had, it wasn't a spirit of, of obnoxiousness. It was a spirit of boldness. And I would just encourage all of us to have that pray and ask the spirit in us to give us a spirit of boldness when it comes to acknowledging and testifying God. Because we need that. We need that from one another, don't we? We need the encouragement from one another. I remember when we were, every, uh, every once in a while, I mean, well, I go up to Wisconsin for a preaching retreat. And it's really close to Chicago, where it is. And when we often go, we go there in the end of, kind of the middle of May. Middle of May, yeah. And it's during the, it's during the hockey playoffs. And when, especially around 2010, 11, 12, it often, the Vancouver Canucks were playing the Chicago Blackhawks, right? And so there'd be a bunch of us, some of us were Canadians, and there was this sports bar downtown. And we'd go to watch the hockey game when Chicago was playing Vancouver. I remember one time going, and we'd go in there, and there'd be all these Chicago Blackhawk uh, fans. And so as soon as... Uh, Chicago score, they'd be, yeah, you know, really shouting loud and that. And then when Vancouver scored a goal, I thought I was the only one. So I'd be like, I didn't say anything. I would be like, inside be, 
Yay. <laughs> but then Vancouver scored uh, another goal. And I heard someone on the other side of the bar go, yeah. And I thought, I got a friend here. <laughs> and so when Vancouver scored the next goal, we went like, yeah. And eventually, like, we were high-fiving each other. And there were a couple other Vancouver Canuck fans that came out of the closet. <laughs> and I think we need that. Sometimes we feel we're all alone out there in the school, in that sports arena, in our community. And we need to be praying for each other, that spirit of boldness, high-fiving each other when we see people, our people here, being bold and testifying about Jesus. So can we do that this week? Ask God to give you a spirit of boldness And if you are a people pleaser, just be honest about that. And say, Lord, take that away. Take that spirit away. Just trying to please people. And I pray that I would have a spirit of of reverence, of fear, of respect for you. And out of that, knowing that when I fear God, I have nothing else to fear. When I trust God, I have nothing or no one else to fear. Father, I pray that would be true. I thank you for these early disciples. I thank you, Lord, for their their boldness at times. At times we realize that they were scared and nervous, just like us. But Lord, I do pray for us. And I pray that we would pray for each other, even this week, that we would not be ultimately people pleasers. But our desire is to please you, an audience of one, which is you. Father, I pray that you would give us that spirit of, of courage, of boldness, of love as we testify, as we acknowledge you. Lord, I look forward to hearing how you give us different opportunities this week to acknowledge you. And may we encourage one another along. In Jesus' name, amen.